Twas the month of December, and throughout every store, every sign, window, shelf, and display shouted more. More gifts for the kids and more gifts for the spouse. More gifts filling up every room in the house. My wife rolled her eyes, and I'm sure mine rolled too, as we walked past the mountains of iPads and Wii U's. But what if more isn't as bad as we thought? What if more isn't just about the things we bought? I say three cheers for more. More sharing, more hugs, more kindness to strangers, more joy, less humbug. Because the status quo is boring and it needs a big shift. Let's make this the year of 100,000 gifts. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us wherever you happen to be on the internet or a campus or uh, here uh, somewhere on the Long Point campus. You know, uh, uh, what a great day. Uh, we're, we're going to talk about miracles today and I show up sick. In, in, that, in that something, that's about par for the course. Actually, I feel a lot better than I, uh, I was going to say look, but I think I look all right uh, than I sound. I think we're on the tail end of it. But I'll tell you what. Rather than shake hands after church, we'll just fist bump. How, how about that? Or just do one of these. Hey, Greg, good to see you. I don't want to get close to you, though. How's that? We're in the middle of a series that uh, has been so much fun. It really has been. Last week, we started off and we talked about the idea of kindness, that God wants to use us in massive ways to give massive doses of kindness and that um, if, if we will act in kindness to someone, it can literally change their story. And we, we did a, we read an, a long story about that from the Bible. And then I challenged you guys to go out as a church and be kind in the community. We made a little website called 100K Gifts. And uh, so far this week, there's been, I just checked it, and what does it say, 43 124 acts of kindness. Is that incredible? I mean, just think about that. Think about that. Now, do I wish it was 20,000? Yes. Let's get going, okay? But 4,300 acts of kindness, potentially changing somebody's story. Let me read a couple of stories that I got in. We're going to try to get these on the website uh, this week. Um, says, so my sister-in-law called me this afternoon in full-blown tears, able to, to choke out, these are happy tears. She pulls herself together and explains that she was in a grocery store in West Ashley, and a man paid for her groceries. She says this type of thing doesn't happen to her, and she can't believe somebody just did that, $127 worth of groceries. Little history, a year ago, her husband was paralyzed from the chest down in a car accident, changing their world as they knew it. On Sunday, the small job that she found to keep their heads above water closed for business with no warning. She says, I have a feeling a lot of people in Charleston will be blessed this Christmas season. Please share. I cried with her and, uh, and goes on and on and on. Now, do you think that might have changed a story? Even for a day, a week, maybe for a lifetime. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Uh, here, here was one. Uh, one young person went to a fast food drive-in. As a teenager, wanted to pay for the person behind them. And when the car pulled up behind them, they realized it was somebody they didn't particularly like. <laughs> love it. After thinking about it, they saw it as God telling them, you got to love everybody even though you don't feel like it. Isn't that cool? That's pretty good. I talked, to that. yeah, that's where the hand. <clears throat> the... Uh, 
The service industry loves you. They told me to say, send them to our restaurant. This has been incredible. Christians who don't normally tip are tipping. It's, it, it, there's revival going on. And so that's awesome. That's somebody else. One more. Somebody pulled into a um, Chick-fil-A, okay, and they pulled through the drive-thru and felt a prompting of the Lord, I'm going to pay for the car behind him. So they began to pray for like one of these little two-seater cars, and would you know it, a minivan full of children. So you never can tell. You never can tell. Kindness. There's so many stories. I'd love to share more of them with you. Today, though, I want to talk about the second piece of 100, uh, 100,000 gifts. Now, next week's going to be something else. Next week, we're going to do something entirely unusual that relates to the 100,000 in a little different way. I want you to be here. Uh, this week, I want to talk about the gift of miracles. Because you cannot tell the Christmas story without talking about miracles. Before I do, you know, there are scriptures that when you read them, they just light you up. Would you agree with that? Maybe you're reading your, I read you version every morning, and then I post a scripture uh, to, the, uh, to the internet. Somebody just texted me, said, hey, you and C.J. Spiller posted the exact same scripture this morning. That's because he's reading the same thing I was reading. You know, it's one of those scriptures that just light you up. And even if he is a Clemson guy, you understand what I'm saying? And uh, just lights you up, just lights you up. There's lots of them. Um, Romans 8, 28 is one of those for me. I don't know about you, but every time I read, uh, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. It just, it's just a faith builder. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. I know that it's going to work out for my good. I can't lose. I can't lose. Uh, another one is uh, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I know the context of that one is I can have nothing and I can be okay because I know I can go through it because I can do all things uh, through Christ. I can have abundance, and there's nothing wrong with abundance, and I can go through that. I'd rather go through that. Uh, and, and I have strength because God will give me strength. I love that verse. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except for that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out. Uh, so that you can stand up under it. I love those scriptures. But there are times in all of our lives, some of you may be there right now. If you're not, you probably will be at some point. But there are times in all of our lives when we read a scripture like that and say, really? All things work together for good? I'm looking around, and there's nothing good working right now, you know? Or um, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Really? I feel like I don't have any strength at all. The kids are... You know, the, the kids are just owning me or work or whatever it happens to be. Or uh, I'm being buried by temptation. You, you, there's a way out of this. And, and we wonder, God, where are you in some of those times? Well, what I want to do today, last week I told you a story, fairly long story about kindness. And today I want to take a look at the Christmas story from Luke chapter 1. I want to tell you about two people who had impossible circumstances. They would say, you know, yeah, really, God? Really? And yet, uh, in the end, God gives them a promise. They react differently to it, and the story ends well regardless. And so, and so here they are. Here's, here's the story. Here are the characters. The first one, and again, it's found in Luke chapter 1. The first character is an old Jewish priest named Zachariah. I'm going to call him Zach, okay? 
old Jewish priest named Zach. In fact, the scripture said he was very old. How old is very old? It's very old. I mean, he was older than Ron Hamilton. Okay. <laughs> he was older than Phil Strange. I mean, that's old up there in Somerville. Um, he was almost as old as Vern Jensen. Not quite, but he was almost as old as Jensen is. He was old. He was in his probably, they say probably in his 60s, okay? And, <laughs> no, you know, what you say anything when you're under the anointing. And, and his wife, <laughs> his wife's name was Elizabeth. We'll call her Liz. Now, they were unable uh, to have kids. The Bible makes a point of that. Infertility is a tough issue. I don't care where you live, what generation you're a part of. It was particularly uh, difficult during those times because every young Jewish girl, when she got married, her dream was that someday she would give birth to or carry the Messiah. They all looked forward to the Messiah. Most of them didn't think he would be divine. That was one of the issues with Jesus. But they thought he would be a man who would be used by God to deliver them. And every, every young girl wanted to give birth to the Messiah. And then I told you last week that genealogies were important because land was important. In fact, there was provision for when a husband died before having a male um, uh, child uh, in, in order that his lineage would continue. And, and so literally in their culture, it was possible if the wife didn't produce a child that the husband could divorce her as if it was all her fault. You know what I'm saying? And so it's a, it's a difficult, difficult, difficult. It's, it's, it's a, a more complicated and nuanced even than that issue is for us today. And so it says he was an old Jewish priest and was married to Elizabeth, and they could have no children. I would imagine that when they first got married that every month, Zechariah would come to her and say, is this the month? And she would say no. And month after month that went on until Zechariah probably quit asking. And she quit hoping. And they carried it as, a, as just a, a wound in their, in their heart. This is our lot in life. And then one day, Zacharias was a priest, and it came his turn to serve the Lord in the temple. I don't have time to tell all about what that was about. I'll just say this, that there were over 20,000 priests, and... Um, they would draw, uh, certain groups of them would serve the temple, you know, and it's like you had a day shift, a night shift, or whatever, you know, that they would serve. And uh, at one time during the year, you would go in and serve directly before the Lord. It was a really big deal. And they would draw lots on who got to do that. And so this was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, as it, uh, possibly never in a lifetime. You may go through your entire life and never get to do what Zechariah was doing that day. And so he went into the temple, and he was serving the Lord. And uh, while he's in the sanctuary, an angel appears. And it just totally freaks out Zechariah. How many of you would probably be freaked out if you saw an angel? Okay? All right. He was. Just, he had no idea who he was, what he was, totally freaked out. Angel says, chill. He tells him that God has heard his prayers and that he's going to have a son and that he's to name his son John because he's going to be kind of a big deal in the whole redemption story. 
Now, normally, that would be very exciting to Zechariah, but he knows that he's beyond childbearing years. And so he says this to the angel. Yeah, how can I be sure that's going to happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is well along in years. Um, Besides all the things I've already told you, they live in a culture where if there's infertility problems, people default to that it's sin. It must be sin in their life. Have you noticed how often we default to goofy things? I mean, somebody doesn't look at you or respond to you the way that you think they should at the grocery store or Starbucks or in the church, and you default to what their motives are. Have you noticed that? Am I the only one that notices that? Or you read something about somebody in the paper or on Facebook or the Internet, and you default to what that must be all about, and you get this whole little scenario going on. Listen, almost every time that we have a, uh, a judgment about another person's motives, we're wrong, okay? We just need to chalk that up. We're wrong. And they are in a culture that says if there are infertility problems, there must be sin in their life. There must be something going on. And so Zach has lived with this his whole life, and so he's probably a little bit sensitive to this. It's a touchy area, and he's, he's given up. Yeah, he prayed a few years ago, but he's probably not even praying anymore. So he's a little testy with the angel. Then the angel said, hey, I'm Gabriel. We'll just call him Gabe. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you good news. But now, since you don't believe what I said, you're going to be silent. In other words, he's he's telling, I'm going to give you a giant timeout. I thought you would be excited about this. I was with God himself. He heard your prayers. Doesn't matter if it was 15 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever. God heard them. I thought you'd be excited since you reacted wrong. Time out. Go to your room. Get a happy heart. Okay? You're not going to be able to speak until this child is born. For my words, listen to this, will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Time out. And so, sure enough, he walks out. He can't speak. Everybody wonders what's going on. They can tell that something has happened. They don't know. And his wife, Elizabeth, gets pregnant. And about six months later, the second character enters into the story. And you know her well. Her her name is Mary. Almost the same scenario. An angel comes to her one day and says, you're going to have a child. And he's going to be not just kind of a big deal. He's going to be a big deal. He's going to be the one, the the one that saves the world in Israel. And so Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen to me? I'm a virgin. And the angel explains, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. And what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but now she's in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. If you have an outline sheet, will you circle that last little phrase? That's one of those ones that light you up. For nothing is impossible with God. So what happens? Well, as the story ends, Zach gets out of his timeout. Or actually, Zach gets a timeout. We're not to the end of the story yet. Mary gets an answer. What's up with that? 
Huh? Why didn't, I mean, they basically said the same thing. Mary said, how can that be? Zach said, how can that be? Why did they get a different response? Because Mary's response was different. Hers was not, hey, I need more proof that this can happen. Hers was, how will you do this? Explain it to me. I don't, don't understand, you know. Um, whatever you say, I'll, I'll, I'll believe, but uh, tell me about it a little bit. And Gabe gives her an answer. And then she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. Circle that phrase, too, because we're going to circle around back to it. May everything that you have said about me come true. Mary responds with humility. Help me to understand, even if you don't, even if I don't, I'll trust you to do what you say that you will do. And that's the story. Now, let me give you three lessons, three simple lessons uh, that we can apply to our lives while we're waiting on a miracle from that story. And here's the first one. Our circumstances don't limit God's options. Whatever your circumstances are, they don't limit God's options. Zechariah believes that his circumstances trump the sovereignty of God. But God, you know how old I am. My wife's past childbearing years. How can this be? It really can't be because my circumstances trump the sovereignty of God. And you may be waiting on a miracle for something in your life. And it may not be a, a physical thing. It may be something entirely different. Oftentimes, we do the same thing that Zechariah does mentally. As we go through it, first we are in faith, and then the longer it goes, the less we believe, and then finally it's, I'm too old, or I'm too young, or, you know, I've done some things that would disqualify me. Uh, there are some things in my past, or I'm addicted, or is it, medic it isn't medically possible, or it hasn't happened yet. I know it can't possibly happen. And we do that as if God wasn't aware of our circumstances. God, let me explain it to you. You, you might have missed this. I like Luke 136. It says, what's more? The angel says this to Mary. Your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but now she's in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. The point with that is that in, in this whole story, he doesn't have to, but he deliberately chooses two people. He chooses to use an older woman who's past childbearing years and a young girl who's never had sex um, to bear children. Why? To show that God is never limited in his options to deliver the promise. He could have delivered it in, in you know, something that would have made a whole lot more sense, but he doesn't because he wants to tell you and I, I'm not limited. I'm not limited. God has lots of options when it comes to a miracle. Let's just talk about physically. He has lots of options. He can, he can change you physically. He can touch you. Somebody can pray for you. And there can be a miracle. Those things still happen, actually. Um, I, uh, I told the story uh, in, in my book, which would be a great Christmas present. It really would. Um, about a situation with me. When I was a kid, I had glomerular nephritis. Look that one up. It's not good. It's a kidney disease. And um, uh, uh, went through every kind of uh, treatment, all this kind of stuff, for three years. At the end of the, the three years, um, it looked really bad. They were looking at a kidney transplant. And as, as kind of a last step, 
option. And my dad said, you know, we're not going to be foolish. We're not going to not do what the doctor said. You know, there are people that think that in order for God to work, you've got to deny what doctors do. And doctors are used by God. Would you agree with that? That's foolish. Or I'm not going to take my medicine because God's going to heal me. Hey, God can heal you whether you take your medicine or not. I would take my medicine if I was you. Okay? <laughs> but my dad said, could we pray? Could we have 24 hours? And I'd been prayed for by everybody in the world. And frankly, as a teenager, I was embarrassed by it, tired of it. And God, in, in, in a way that at a time that, uh, you know, it wasn't like we would have winded up. We had a miracle. We went back to the doctors, and they redid the tests, and to today, I have no problems at all. And I believe that. I, I believe it. I just believe God can do it. So I'm thinking about that this week, and I start to get sick, and I said, God, what a cruddy week. <laughs> Doing miracles, and here, let's do it. And I haven't received, I mean, I've, I've been oiled up so much, you know, I, oil and pray and all that, but God can do it. Or God can change your circumstances. He can, he's got all kinds of options. Uh, we, uh, we recently sent uh, a trip to Sri Lanka, group to Sri Lanka, and it wasn't a medical group. We send medical groups all over the world, and they've done incredible things. And you talk about miracles. They see uh, uh, medical miracles, and some of them pray and see physical miracles. You, you put a doctor who prays together, and you've got a powerful thing. Would you agree with that? And uh, we have all kinds of doctors and nurses and what have you in this audience that believe in, in the power of God to inspire them and also the power of God to go beyond what they can do. And uh, we've seen incredible things. But this was not a medical trip to Sri Lanka. This was just kind of a reconnaissance trip, three or four people to go over, find out from the church, because there's a lot of things that, that, that we're being able to be a part of in Sri Lanka. Where can we send teams? What can we do? And there was an article in the paper, this is the Sri Lankan paper, about a little girl whose name was Rashmi, who uh, it, the article says, an armless girl excels. And let me just read a little bit. A 10-year-old uh, girl in a certain province who'd been born without arms and a right leg excelled at the recent uh, concluded grade 5 examination by writing her answer scripts using her left foot. That's all she has, one foot. And not only did she excel, she was the first girl in, I think, 10 years from that school to pass the test with flying colors. And so the, I don't know how it happened, but the Sri Lankan government, who we have good relationships with, knew that we had a small team there, asked if the team could come uh, to wherever um, the girl was going to be, and said, we as a government will pay for it if you, if you as a church can figure out how we can get at least one prosthetic limb for this girl. And so this girl is coming here to Charleston, and somebody in this church is donating. So in fact, it was so funny. I was, on, I was walking through the office the other day, and every once in a while I'll walk through, and I'll say, hey, what are you guys doing to change the world today, just to keep the pressure up just a little bit? <laughs> one of the guys was on the phone. He's, uh, I think he's one of our interns, and, and he puts his hand over the phone. He says, I'm trying to find an elbow. And anyway, she's coming during the Christmas season. It's going to be one of our church, 100,000 acts of kindness. We're going to get her hooked up with a prosthetic arm, okay? I'll just bet if you asked her, she'd say that's as big a miracle as growing a new arm because she'll have one. She'll have one. My mother died uh, 21 years ago. 
breast cancer, an extremely aggressive kind. I know people, I know women in this church who have sur- survived um, what she had, and the prognosis of living a good long life is great because of advances in medical science. You know what? Who gives wisdom? Who gives knowledge? I believe those are miracles. Don't limit how God can work. And God can also uh, not only change you or change your circumstance, but he can change your heart. There can come a point where it doesn't matter to you anymore. There can come a point where you come to see your circumstances differently. I see that in Paul. Paul prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for a specific instance. We don't know what it was, but to be removed. And then finally he comes to the point that, hey, you know what? God is strong in my weakness. I'm going to bear it as just a, I'm going to bear it as something great. And I'm going to be okay. That was a miracle turning point because I don't know about you, but when you've been praying for something for a long time and it's a part of your everyday and, and suddenly something changes in you and you go, you know what, this is okay. And I think God can use this. And it's all right. That's not a lack of faith. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. So God's not limited. And I don't want to shake your faith on anything. God is not limited in his options when it comes to a miracle. So if you have a promise that you're still waiting on, seems impossible. Every time you see Mary or Elizabeth in the Christmas season, remember that God's not limited. Okay, i got to quickly go on. Second lesson is this. Just because you haven't received it yet doesn't mean that you won't. Just because you haven't received it yet doesn't mean that you won't. Luke 1.7, they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Zach and Liz were old. They'd been dreaming of a child for a long time. The reason they didn't have one yet had nothing to do with what other people thought. Some people thought it was because of sin. Wrong. Some people thought they were under God's judgment for something that they didn't do 15 years ago. Wrong. Some people thought it was bad karma. Wrong. God had a purpose in withholding childbearing until that particular time. They were to bear a special child. Their life and faithfulness was in preparation for this moment. God had a bigger plan. God had a bigger plan. Now what about you? Why haven't you received your promise? Why am I still single? Why haven't I had a child yet? Why aren't my kids following God? I thought the promise said when you train them up, you know, when they're young, when they're old, they won't depart from it. And they've departed. Why hasn't the right door opened? Why do I still struggle? Why haven't I been healed yet? Here, just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't. See, it may not be a no. It may be a not yet. It may be the timing's not right. It may be God has a very special purpose in why he's doing what he's doing. Not yet's are hard to swallow, aren't they? I don't like not yet's. I want a yes right now, but I'm not God. Timing is seldom recognized until past tense. Would you agree with that? God wants you to stay in faith as he prepares you for a promise. All right, let me, let me, let me give you one more, one more. There's so much more we could talk about with that, but here, here's the third one. Here's the third one. Even in our seasons of unbelief, you cannot thwart the promises of God. Sometimes we worry about the fact, well, maybe... 
you know, my unbelief is going gonna, is gonna, to uh, cause bad things for, uh, you know, around me or God can't work through me. God wants to accomplish something significant in the earth through Zechariah. And he loves Zach and the people that Zach serves, the is- Israelites, too much to allow his disobedient attitude to put a permanent roadblock up for God's plans. In fact, I love the words. I asked you to circle them earlier. I love the words that the angel said, for my words will certainly, maybe I didn't a- a- ask you that. I don't know. I'm, um, this is my second service. All right. I might have asked him last night. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Circle that if I didn't ask you to do that. Circle that. For my words will be fulfilled at the proper time. And, uh, and God then gives Zechariah a massive timeout. When God gives us a timeout, it's not because he doesn't like us. It's called the judgment of God. When you hear about the judgment of God, you quake with fear. And we ought to be a little bit afraid of God because he's able to, uh, he, uh, he's big, <laughs> Okay. But it's not because he doesn't love us. You say, how can a loving God do something like that? Well, the unloving thing to do would have been to let Zechariah continue in his unbelief and go on his merry way. The unloving uh, thing uh, uh, of God to do is just let him continue to argue with the angel. He probably would have argued with the angel until the cows came in and not changed his mind at all, never had a change of heart. This time out served Zechariah well, because this story's going to have a great ending. It really is. And so, Zach has a while to think about his attitude. Go to your room till you get a happy heart. Have you ever heard that one before? And in the story, he ultimately becomes the hero. The wrath of God is not in the timeouts. The real wrath of God would be in him allowing you to do your own thing. Just continue to go. Because he wants to change you. He loves you, too. He loves you but he loves you too much to let you stay the way that you are. God's love is seen when he calls you to account when you deal with a bad attitude. See, God has significant things that he wants to accomplish in and through you, and he loves you and the people around you too much not to discipline your disobedience. That's why every weekend we give you an opportunity uh, to repent. You come to the cross. What I'm doing is I'm giving you a way out of your time out. Okay, uh, When you disobey God, he's not going to bless disobedience. Now, his word will get done, but he's not going to bless you in your disobedience. He doesn't hold it against you all of your life. He wants you to repent so that you can do his will. His purposes don't benefit from giving you a permanent seat in the corner. So when in doubt, the best thing you can do, even if you, even if you have doubt in your mind, is just to trust God. To say as Mary did, I don't know how this is going to work out, but may everything that you said to me come true. In humility, she responds to God. Now, we've got a, a great testimony of a little lady that um, names Monica, and uh, she was sent to our church by her doctor just a few weeks ago. And uh, so we want you to see her story. What happened to me is, uh, is something that I definitely wouldn't like happen to anybody at all, at all, at all. While I started getting a pain, um, 
on my right side. And I went through that for about two weeks and the thing was getting worse and worse. I couldn't sleep at night. It was a burning sensation, a terrible burning sensation. And it hurt a lot, very, very much. I would just crawl into my bed and kind of turn up with the pain. So one morning I woke up, I said, you know, done is done. I'm going to my doctor. I called her up and she said, come in. And I went in and she, um, she saw my face and, and she said, oh my God, you don't look well at all. I says, I'm not well. And then um, she looked at me and said, oh, you're losing weight. And I says, yep. And uh, she says, well, okay, let me check you over. And she checked me over and she said, you know what? I'm gonna send you for CAT scan right now. And um, I'm gonna make the appointment right now. And right now you're going over because we know, got to know what's happening. You can't keep on suffering like this anymore. presented with a history of abdominal pain. For workup, she had received a CAT scan. The CAT scan, according to the radiologist, demonstrated a large mass on the right side of her colon. She came in for evaluation. I actually uh, saw her on my day off because the radiologist uh, emphasized that the mass was quite big. As I was leaving, she, she kind of came over to me and hugged me. And she said, you're such a nice person and, and, and you're such a strong person. You're here all by yourself. I want you to go to Seacoast. I said, Seacoast, yes. Seacoast is a church on Long Point. Um, it's a beautiful church. They're, they're beautiful people. There are elders there that pray with you, and, and they're helpful, and, and, and they would give you all the strength and support you need at this moment. I urge you to go there. And then I turned around and I told her, I says, you know, I'm Catholic. And she says, I am also Catholic, but you know what? I go to that church, and I so feel full of the Holy Spirit. I feel so whole when I walk out of that church that, that I'm going there. She um, understandably was extremely upset and I was trying to give her hope and trying to comfort her, but um, there came a point where I felt that she needed more than that. And that's when I decided to share my faith with her and told her that maybe she needed somebody to pray with her and suggested he, she would go to Seacoast where somebody could lay hands on her, give her some oil and pray with her. And as I walked in, the uh, it was starting to you know, people were starting to come to church. They were coming. To, so uh, as I walked in, I was, uh, I think, in a terrible state. I, I wasn't, uh, you know, I was crying and, and, you know, 
pathetic looking. And then a guy saw me and a lady saw me and the way they saw me and this, I think they just said, well, you know, she needs help. And they all came towards me and kind of guided me into a room. And then um, they called pastor. I can't really remember her name again, but she's a beautiful person, really. And she came in and sat with me. And she prayed with me. And she, I remember her words. She prayed to God and she asked God to heal me. She, she just went out and said, heal this lady in the name of Jesus Christ. On Tuesday, when she came in for her colonoscopy, we uh, proceeded as usual. And uh, once she was asleep, I started the procedure. And I kept waiting for that moment where I would see this big mass in the right side of the colon. I kept thinking it's going to come in the next corner or after the next fold. And then I made it to the beginning of the colon, and I had not gone through any masses. I, uh, couldn't even explain what I was seeing. I was very excited. You know, I opened my eyes and I saw my doctor and I saw my son just out there and the doctor was running back and forth. This is incredible. This is unbelievable. And she was calling my son's name, Fred, come over here, Fred, Fred, come over here, come and see, come and see. I. I can't believe this. This is incredible. This is unbelievable. And Freddie was saying, uh, give me an explanation. I need a scientific explanation. And she said, I can't. This is a miracle. She said it. This is a miracle. Um, for the longest time, I had thought that I am an instrument of God to help heal people according to his will. And this just showed me that I was fooling myself because he doesn't need anything. Our God is so incredibly awesome that he can just do it. That mass should have been there and it was not. cool story, huh? Now, I just suspect that there are more than those two double-dipping Catholics in this church. <laughs> so, we're going to end this service by just praying for people. We're, we're, we're just going to ask God to do what he, he can do. And you say, well, what if I don't get healed? You know, everybody's going to get healed. You say, everybody? Can you guarantee that? Yes. Well, let, me tell you, let me tell you how I know that. Uh, you're going to be healed in one of three possible ways. Um, either when we anoint you with oil and pray for you, you may receive a healing right there. You may be healed in your lifetime. 
or um, 100% of the people in here are going to die. Were you aware of that? that mortality rate's real high. It hovers around 100% here in Mount Pleasant. And when you die, you're going to be healed. Or Jesus may return before you die, and at that point you'll be healed, the Bible says. So everybody's going to get healed. We might as well just pray, trust, and believe that God can do miracles. Should we do that? And we'll leave the timing up to him. Now, before we come, and some of us, we, we have some serious doubts that's trying to crowd out faith. Let me just leave you with two questions that you need to ask yourself. The first one is this. Do I really believe that God loves me? Do I really believe that God loves me? Not a future version of me. You know, not if I do this or when I get that. No, 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 no. That God loves you. We had a guest uh, here on Wednesday, and I think either on Wednesday night or Thursday morning, he said, you know what? God loves you the exact amount and way that he loves Jesus Christ, his own son. Because of Jesus, God loves you. Loves you exactly like you are. You don't have to, you know, wait till I'm a little cleaner, I'm a little better, I'm a little further along. No, 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 no. Do I really believe that God loves me? Second question is this. Do I believe that God has my best interest in mind? Do I believe that God has my best interest in mind? If I do, then I'll come to him in faith and say, God, I'm going to trust you. Regardless of what the outcome, I am going to trust you because you have my best interest in mind. Now, let me tell you what we're going to do here and at all the campuses. Uh, we're going to have a response time. Your campus pastor will come in just a minute and kind of set that up for you. But uh, we're, we're going to have um, pastors and prayer teams at the front of every auditorium where we're at. And they are <coughs> going to do this. They're going to ask you to give a one-sentence uh, description of w- w- what you need. Maybe it's you or maybe you're standing in for a friend or a loved one or whatever. One sentence, and we don't want run-on sentences, okay? One sentence, one sentence, because we have a lot of people that we'll need to pray for. And then what they're going to do is they're going to do a Mary prayer. We circled what Mary said, and here's what Mary said. May everything that you have said about me come true. Not everything that I think, everything that you have said about me come true. And so what's going to happen is the prayer team has some scriptures, and they're going to read one of those about what God says about you. And we're just going to agree with God that everything that he says about us will come true. And then we're going to anoint with oil and pray. They have a little bottle of oil. What's up with that? I don't know. All I know, I mean, I've got some ideas. I mean, I know, you know, that oil was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. I know that shepherds put oil on their sheep. I know all that, but I don't know. How do you know that? You know, there are just some things that you go, okay, probably, but I don't know. I'll just obey. James 5, verse 14 says, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. That's all we know. That's all we know. And so one sentence description, they're going to pray a merry prayer over you. They're going to anoint you with oil and pray. And we're just going to believe God that God can work miracles still today. Is that okay? All right, let's let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness today. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for how you love us and you care for us. And sometimes we we try to figure it all out. And today we're not going to try to figure it all out. We're just going to trust you and believe you and allow you to do whatever you desire to do in our lives. 
God, I pray that uh, your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this room and in every room where people are gathered. And uh, we ask that you'd confirm your word with signs following. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.